Welcome listeners to episode 18 of the Running Guide podcast, where I aim to provide informative content and interviews with elite athletes from around the world, like in today's episode, where I'm chatting to a young Aussie middle distance runner whose dream of donning the green and gold as a young child took a slightly different path to the one he envisaged. Welcome to the Running Guide podcast, Jared Clifford. Thanks for having me on. Mate, really excited to have you on, mate. Really excited. Been out training yeah, today, no, mate? Not, not yet, actually. Um, I'm waiting for the, the girlfriend to finish up work, and, and um, she's going to drive me out to one of the hills we've got here in Eltham in Melbourne. So uh, I can't really get there via public transport. It's a little bit hidden away. So okay. uh, she's going to be on the driving duties today. Okay, awesome, awesome. So what, hill efforts or just a hilly run? or? Yeah, hill efforts. So uh, they're short ones today. Usually we do long ones out there, but 290 seconds, 360 seconds and 630 seconds so okay. getting some uh speed for the for the domestic season sure so that's on the road it's not grass or sand or anything like that or uh we're actually really lucky out here we've got a lot of gravel roads um if you if you go and find them so yeah it's just just a, an, uh, a gravel road pretty pretty smooth though okay yep cool and uh what long run sunday tomorrow or yeah we are uh, usually head out to westerfolds park and i'll have about 25k okay Yep, cool. Um, all right, you compete at a at a very high level as an as an able-bodied athlete, but uh, as a para athlete, um, due to a vision impairment that uh, you diagnosed with as a three-year-old. So, for the listeners who sort of aren't aware of your running story thus far, if you could sort of um, go into details of of that vision impairment and um, I guess how your running journey started that led you to become a Paralympian um, at Rio in 2016 at 17 years of age and now the current world champion at the age of 20 and basically being the man to beat in Tokyo Paralympic Games this September. So, yeah, tell us about all that. Yeah, it's been a pretty crazy, uh, you know, 20, 20 years for me so far. And, yeah, I was three years old. I was diagnosed with a, the degenerative condition, juvenile macular degeneration, and it's genetic. So dad has it, but, um, you know, he can still drive and stuff. So it can come in different ways and it can deteriorate at different ages so for me it deteriorated in primary school I was probably like you know it was around the ages 9 to 11 and um you know basically it affects my central vision so my perception of detail is pretty poor um you know and I can see movement and stuff because my peripheral vision is still quite I think it's pretty normal but um my central vision is what really affects me so uh, in a race, when I'm running, I can't see the person in front of me uh, other than maybe, you know, a bit of the movement. And as soon as they get a couple of metres away, I can't see them at all. But in a pack situation, uh, around the outsides, you know, the person next to me and stuff, um, I can see them. So often I'm using my ears. But uh, for me, you know, growing up, I loved all sports. My dream has always been to represent Australia or, or play AFL at the highest level, um, which is probably the equivalent um, in that sport. So, yeah, when your eyesight's deteriorating and you, you're going through these big life changes and um, although you're young, you still know what's going on. So, yeah, you kind of have to face this reality that is, you know, the things that you dream of doing might be impossible in that specific way. But obviously, you know, you can always find a way to achieve your dream. And um, for me, I found it through running, which, you know, potentially was the sport that I was best at anyway. Um, so maybe it's lucky in a sense that I found it. And then, yeah, through the Paralympic Games. And I managed to make my Australian debut 
age 16, I think, in 2015 at the World Championships. And, yeah, run for Australia at the Rio Paralympic Games in 2016. So it's been a, a crazy kind of, um, you know, I've had to adapt to a lot of things in my life. But, um, you know, in my family, we kind of approach these things as, you know, just a challenge. And, you know, it's we don't even make a big deal out of it. It's just something you just kind of get over and get on with things. Okay, so you've got you got brothers and sisters, or yeah, I've got a sister, um, Elsie. She's fifteen in year eleven, though. Okay. So um, yeah. Yep. So so I believe the, the the vision impairments got got worse as you got older. So that that's where yeah. the, those adjustments had to keep being made, and that's where you were obviously just had to keep moving the goalposts and and uh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, no, you know, it's gotten worse, like, my, my test results in an objective manner. It's definitely gotten worse, and especially in that kind of primary school time. And then also, you know, this is a thing that deteriorates, can deteriorate extremely slowly um, for a lot of people. And maybe that's happening, you know, across high school, which is, you know, that's a long period of time. But it's also the things that you do in life change between, you know, when you're 10 years old and when you're 20 years old. So maybe I notice it more doing new things. Uh so, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's hard to know how it's going. And as I get quicker, the challenges become harder as well. And when I push my body harder and when my races get longer, the challenges become more apparent. So, yeah, sometimes it's hard to know whether it's you know still deteriorating now or whether it's just because I'm doing new things and harder things and pushing myself to, to try and do new things. So, um, and, you know, you grow up and you turn 18 and everyone drives. So that kind of... Um, for a while there that rams home the reality that your life will be different which you know quite quickly you realize isn't a bad thing at all but at the time um yeah there's there's little things that yeah kind of make you go hmm, you know this is this is a different way to live a life yeah yeah so so what afl team do you barrack mate i'm with the blues i was at the afl w match last night so oh, we got okay. the win but uh, yeah. our, our men's team's been struggling of late uh, mm. pretty much throughout my whole life. So yeah. hopefully this year can change. Yeah, yeah. Carlton boy like Liam. Liam Adams, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so growing up, you're, 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 um, I believe, you know, your parents were great support and um, pretty keen to get you out there doing the ball games. Um, so w- when your sight was deteriorating, there, there was a decision made to, to go to running for that reason or, or well, how did that sort of evolve? Um, there was no, like, specific sit-down where we were just, like, you know, your eyesight's getting worse, you can't do a ball sport. In fact, while it was getting worse, I was so determined that I was still playing the ball sports and still playing footy and stuff like that. Or, hmm. And um, so it was more just a natural thing. It was just, like, I was getting off the field in a lot of those ball sport games and sometimes I'd be pretty frustrated because I knew I could do some of the things that, my teammates were doing and I but I just couldn't uh do it it's yeah it's a weird thing like you know that your body is capable of doing it sure but something's holding you back so Mm. um the frustration potentially led to me deciding to take up running which I'd already realized throughout primary school that I wasn't too bad at um so it was just a natural transition to that there was uh, never really any major you know or yeah we, we definitely have to change because your eyesight's changing, it was just yeah. If I wanna, if I wanna fulfill my dreams, and if I wanna, you know, 
reach the highest level of my potential, um, maybe that's the sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously extremely uh, determined. Um, let's, let's go through your PBs, mate. Um, and, yeah, sure. And if you can sort of tell us a little bit of story um, behind them, anything you can remember. So let's start with 800 yeah. metres. You ran 153.57 in June over yeah. there in Germany in uh, 2018. Yeah, that was um, – I don't run many 800s, and, and that is my my PB, so it's probably in the last 800 I ran, and it was in Mannheim. We were um, preparing for the 2018 uh, able-bodied World Junior Championships, so there was obviously a bit of history surrounding my involvement in that, being the first Paralympian to compete in the Junior Championships. So, um, yeah, that was an awesome lead-in. Um, I'm pretty sure a negative split that, maybe, um, 56 high, 56 low okay so um yeah and i'm running an 800 in a couple of weeks at the miles club at melbourne university so hopefully uh that pb can can get updated yeah yeah for sure for sure uh 1500 meters 345.18 um in march in sydney 2018 yeah so that was the run that qualified me for those able-bodied world junior championships and at the time the pb um was something that it was unbelievable. It was three seconds quicker than the time I'd ever run before that, and it was on the last day that I could get a qualifying time for okay. the championships, and I'd spent um, the day before I won the national title and then gone to an Ed Sheeran concert that I would booked in, like, months in advance. So uh, I didn't actually expect to run this race, but it was the last chance to run the qualifier, and I was up against Matt Centrowitz, who's the, the Olympic champion. So, um, yeah, that was a crazy race but um yeah for some reason i just haven't gotten in a the right race despite definitely being in the shape to beat that pb but i haven't been able to actually beat it since so um despite you know fully fully tapering for races and stuff compared to late night and the races in the days preceding so yeah hopefully yeah hopefully i can beat that one again soon as well sure sure one mile 40941 in uh december down there in geelong of 2018 yeah, it's not one of my better PBs. I think that's the curse of sure. vision impairment. In terms of distances, the mile start line is probably the most brutal. Okay. And um, I don't tend to run them. The best one in Victoria is at the Melbourne Uni Miles Club, but that's the Victorian champs. But it's usually too dark by the time they run it, so I usually miss, miss that one. But, yeah, maybe one day I'll, I'll get in the mile. Sure, sure. And this 3,000 metre, 8.15.97. Um that's moving. So November 2017 down in Melbourne. Yeah, that's another one from a while ago. Um, yeah, that was. Don't remember much about that. I know I got the Diamond Valley Club record, which my um, my training partner and, and guide Tim Logan snatched off me by one second. I think the next year. So, um, and I did try and run one the other week and I ran 8:17. So there's a bit of a rivalry for that for that club record at the moment. Okay, sure. Uh, 5,000 metres, 14.22.45, uh, November, um, basically two weeks two weeks later of what you did in the 3,000. Yeah, I was in a pretty good patch of form at that stage, and that was one of my last ever solo or successful solo 5Ks, um, although I did have a good pack to run with and follow for most of the part. So, yeah, that's probably one of my better PBs, although, once again, I've, I know I've been in shape since to break it, so it's just a matter of getting in the right race in Dubai around 14.40 at the World Championships and we were jogging for the first 4K nearly. So 
um, yeah, hopefully I can can rewrite that one and work as well. Yeah, I think the age of 20, I think you're going to destroy all these. Um, 10K, uh, sub 30 boy, 29.44, July, Melbourne, 2019. So, yeah. Yeah, this is one. This is a this is a recent one. This is the one I I enjoy talking about at yeah. the moment because yeah. um, probably you know I finally was able to get in a race you know in the last twelve months where I actually got in terms of time everything out of myself. So, was that Albert Park? Or? Um, yeah, that was the Albert Park one. Yeah. So I think I came seventh in the race, and uh, my training my guide Tim Logan was actually in the race himself. So instead of using guides for that race, Athletics Victoria hooked me up with a, a bike guide who rode right next to me and had to keep telling me to change my trajectory around corners because I was going to hit the cones and the bike would guide me into each um, hairpin bend. So um, that was a pretty interesting thing and it worked pretty well, I thought. Um, obviously, yeah, so I ran pretty well there. and um, First and only time so far I've used a bike as a guide. Okay, yep. Um, look, before we go into detail about the major champs, um, if we could sort of discuss discuss the guide and, and tether logistics. Um, so starting yeah. with the guide, um, I see you run uh, without a guide in the 1,500 metres, but but with a guide in in the 5,000 metres. You can sort of yeah. explain why why that's the case, and sort of and then just give us a rundown on, on the on the tether. Yeah. So first of all. It's um, feasibility. So the 1,500 metres, I'm only allowed to use one guide. And a guide runner would have to run in lane two, be able to speak to me the whole time um, to get the benefits out. So, um, And they'd have to stay in sync with me. They'd have to change pace in a split second, you know, simultaneously with, with myself. So it's at the speeds that I'm running at or, you know, closing at in the last 400 metres, the people in Australia that could guide me, they have their own careers doing Olympic events and, and uh, you know, the Paralympic Games isn't really on their radar um, and quite fairly. So for the 5K, I'm allowed two guides. So that really opens it up to who could possibly help me and because um, I only have to run half the distance. And, yeah, so that's pretty much why one and not the other. Uh, in okay. terms of why the guide, mm. it's pretty much, like, obviously there's... Um, you know, you train for something for four years, a lifetime even. So you just kind of want to get rid of any risk. So in terms of getting from point A to point B, obviously I can do it, um, although the guide does get rid of that risk. But it's a tactical race, and a lot of the time, although I can get from point A to point B in a race, I have no idea what position I'm coming. Uh, I have no idea how many laps to go in a 5K, especially when it's you know when you're really cooked and it's hard to count. And um, I don't know what pace I'm going as well, so I don't know how to gauge my effort. So all of that, a guide can relate to me if they're running alongside me. They can give me that information. So pretty much that is the main reason, a tactical um, yeah, okay. a tactical. Kind so you don't of have to use two benefit. guides in the 5,000. You just choose to use two. You could use one if you had to. Yeah, you could use one. Okay. Um, but... Once again, to use one, I'd probably need someone that is knocking on the door of the Olympic Games team. Sure, sure. And and the tether, tell us about that. Yeah, so the tether's 30 centimetres long, although 20 centimetres of that is taken up with the two loops at either end. So really the gap is only a little bit over 10 centimetres between the two people 
myself and the guides. So uh, that takes a little while to get used to, and we um, we only really got it working in Flagstaff um, to the to the comfortability that I was hoping for, um, which was in the month leading in. So I was pretty pretty nervous at the start, just getting in sync because you know our arms have to be going up and down at the same time, our legs have to be in sync, and with running and all the different you know techniques uh staying in sync is actually harder than you think um harder than most people think just because people have different cadence rhythms and and um stuff like that but uh then we also have to change over so to avoid getting disqualified we have to ensure that one guide is holding on to the tether at all times so uh philo saunders my coach and the first guide in dubai had to uh kind of take his hand out of the loop and just hold it with one finger while Tim uh, was able to get his hand holding the rope and then Philo's about to let go. So we have to do that whilst running, you know, potentially well under three minute per kilometre pace. Mm. Um, so that was something that we took a while to get used to. And um, But, yeah, now we, we ace it pretty much every time. And once you get the hang of it, it's, it's pretty easy. But then the last guide thing is... I have to cross the finish line first. So you could run a whole marathon and win by eight minutes, but if the guide crosses the line first, even if it's only a fraction of a second, you'd get disqualified. So, um, yeah, that's just to stop people pulling people over the line and you know dragging people and, and yeah. aiding as a as a pacer rather than a guide. So, yeah, um, yeah there's a lot to think about, but um, it's pretty easy really once you you get to know it. Yeah, just just an art. Yeah, yeah. So. Um... With that tether, uh, you might have said that, um, but when, when the guide um, swaps over, they're, 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 you're still keeping that tether with you and that you say um, Tim has to dislodge and then Philo gets into that same tether or does Philo jump in with a tether with him and then you need to connect onto that tether? No, so it's the same tether. Okay. So yeah, yeah. At, one point, at one point whilst running at that speed, Yep. Philo and Tim will both be holding it oh, at the okay. same time. Yeah, gotcha. And is there any limitation to when you know when the tether change can be made, or we have to tell the officials before, yep. and uh, it has to be done on the back straight. So we just tell them which lap, yep. and we have the entire hundred meter back straight to, to okay. make the change. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Has there any ever had issues in, like when the tether's been dropped or anything nightmare stories like that, or? Um. They're usually in races where it doesn't really matter, like an okay. interclub race where we're yeah. just trialing it and we, we um, don't have to yeah. completely abide by the rules. So, yeah. With other competitors, yet. have you ever seen any horror stories at major championships where there's been a mix-up with a tether? Or? Oh, I know I know some people have, you know, the, the runners have gotten too quick for the guide and, um, uh, yeah, they've got tangled up and fallen over and okay. or people trying to direct the runner across the finish line and then they've pulled up too early and then the guide's gone across first and they've got disqualified. So, yeah, okay. yeah there can be mishaps, but, you know, we're, we pretty much, when we're in training camp, we're a team. So we spend a lot of time practicing that stuff and sure. we know it's just a 1%er, but it's a 1%er that could define a whole four years of training of course, so of course. yeah we love we love being on top of that stuff yeah definitely um look tell us tell us about tim logan he's um he's sort of been by your side in more ways than one um excuse the pun there but um 
he's, he's been, you know, you guys have been together for over a decade now. Um, you're pretty good mates. Yeah. Obviously, you've, uh, like you said, you've got that uh, the art of that symmetry arm swing down. Um, now, Tim's a pretty handy runner himself. Um, yeah. You know, he's, I see his PB is 14.03 for the 5,000. He ran 66 even at the half marathon on the Gold Coast last year. So how do you guys sort of... Um, work around around your training together obviously tim must be doing some other work on the side obviously he's doing a lot of his running and volume with you if you could just sort of tell us how that sort of works yeah tim's one of the most impressive runners i've met and i know i'm biased but he he's a full-time apprentice electrician so for a while there he was getting up at some ridiculous hour and i'm being serious when i say this i think it was 4 4 30 a.m and doing double runs and then he'd go to work work all day and then he'd drive straight to the to the main session of the day without going home sometimes. So, uh, and then he usually beat me in the training session as well. So, you know, he's pretty tough bloke, pretty um, you know tough runner. But you know, he also drives me everywhere I need to be. You know, when it's about running, and he, um, you know, we live luckily ten minutes, five ten minutes away from each other. So. Yeah, he'll pick me up for training pretty much all the time and he'll drive me to races and, you know, we had a training camp down the coast and, you know, he was driving us back and forth and, yeah, you know, the sacrifices he's made for me, you know, he's only just been thrown back into racing for this summer and, and that's because he actually ran the Dubai World Championships as my guide with two tears in, in his calf and he still ran on it knowing that it could damage it further for the season ahead and, you know, he's got his own ambitions so... That's a big sacrifice to make, and um, you know he knows how. Oh, like grateful. I don't even know if grateful is the right word to sum it up, but um, I am for his support, and you know. But he, you know, he he just does it because you know we're, we're mates. We were mates before there was any like need for that to happen. You know, we ran we've run at the same club for you know a long, long time. So it's just kind of been a very natural. Thing to start happening and you know he's the most natural person to be the guide on our our techniques are pretty similar uh, actually no, they're pretty much the exact same so it's pretty easy to stay in sync when we're doing the guiding as well mm. Mm. no it's awesome oh, good on you tim mate uh you're only 20 so so and you're running the 15 and 5000 so i sort of imagine you're not going too crazy with the volume or, or running doubles um, how, does, how does your sort of weekly training sort of look at the moment and how has that sort of changed since you've been with, with Philo and um, will there be sort of any changes in your prep for Tokyo compared to Dubai? Uh, yeah, so Philo's been awesome. Obviously, he's one of the better better coaches in Australia, I think, just in terms of um, not just the training because, you know, running's running, um, but just the belief that he instills in me and, and the group and we pretty much we're all best mates in the training group. We're all riding, you know, each other's highs and lows, um, which is which is super special. And there's always a lot of laughs at training when we're in Canberra. But uh, in terms of our actual training, I'll usually be running in my normal week, 130 to 140K a week. So uh, Monday is a 6K, 10K and gym. Tuesday, you know, 8K run in the morning and then a session. Um, Wednesday, up to 16k thursday the same as tuesday friday 10k in gym um saturday a session and then sunday 25 up to usually 28k um maybe once a year 30k so uh, but in terms of changes not really that's pretty much been my program um 
for a year or two now and just, um, you know, we just rely on the sessions to keep us improving. Like we don't really feel, well, I don't really feel like I need to have a jump in mileage to see an improvement. Um, so, yeah, the only change, and it's not really changed because we did it for Dubai and that's just to imp- keep implementing a bit of sauna work and steam room work um, and not be afraid of running in the heat just as practice for Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Certainly had some heat to deal with uh, this summer, haven't we? Yeah, it's been pretty hot. And I actually was supposed to go to Perisher um, where some of the fires were, but we never got there. And then I was supposed to go to Canberra, but the smoke, and I know Canberra's had even hotter. Yeah, like you're in Canberra as well, yeah. So you've obviously you guys have had a lot of hot, hot conditions, um, even compared to, to Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, it's one that we want to forget. Just, uh, yeah, I mean, luckily we weren't, uh, the, the bushfire didn't come through this time, but, yeah, certainly a lot of smoke yeah. to deal with. And, uh, yeah, pretty keen for it to all to finish. We've got uh, hopefully a lot of rain coming this weekend, and um, yeah, hopefully we're done That's with sweet. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, let's let's go nice. to the um to the major champs, mate. Two thousand sixteen Rio. Now you were seventeen years old. Were you still at school at that stage? Uh yeah. So I didn't finish school until twenty eighteen. Oh so, wow. Okay. Yeah. So Paralympian and and uh, I believe school captain as well. Yeah, I mate, was. You're putting the pressure on the funny. other kids there, mate. You got come on. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It was good fun that year. Yeah. Um, and the major champs was uh, pretty awesome. And I went to Flagstaff for the first time before that one. So, um, and yeah, I saw the rewards with the bronze medal in the fifteen hundred. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at, at Rio, you, you um, finished seventh in the fifteen and the five thousand. Is that right? Yeah. 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 That's yeah. Right. Yeah. And the five thousand, there was a PB at the time, fifteen oh six sixty four. Yeah. 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 That yep. was um that was yeah and I'd been I hadn't really done a heap of running leading into the champs so I, I saw back um for the month leading in, just after trying to qualify for the championships I had to run three races in the last three days yep. of the qualifying period or something crazy like that so yeah um to run a PB in the five k was I was pretty stoked to be able to do that yeah yeah for sure and what was the whole experience of Rio mate must have blown you away yeah Rio's incredible um. Yeah. You know, the city's pretty cool. I don't, you know, obviously there's all the debate whether they should have hosted something so big and mm. uh, so, stuff like that. But the actual Paralympic experience is awesome. You know, you've got diversity of nationality, diversity of disability, diversity of background and stories, and it's just awesome. And you just meet and see so many incredible people and your teammates with so many incredible people and you're training day in, day out with so many incredible people. So... It's the best experience, and I learned so much about being an elite athlete and, and uh, embracing who you are and being proud of who you are. And um, yeah, that was just a, a really good experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, a year later, over to London for the uh, for the World Champs there. So yeah, bronze in the fifteen, three fifty three fifty one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, bronze there. So I went in. Dreamy of bronze, but not expecting to get it. Um, Philo kept telling me I d- was in the shape to get it. Um, and, yeah, I was. Oh, it's one of the best feelings, that race, crossing the line with the bronze, just because it was, you know, it was in the London Olympic Stadium. It was just a just a really cool, cool feeling. It's just so hard to describe. It's, 
And people say, you know, oh, it's just a blur, but it actually is just yeah. a blur. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And let's get to the big one last year over in Dubai, mate. Uh, the world champs um, picking up two gold medals, mate. So the 1500, 347.78. Now, I just watched that race again the other day on YouTube. Um, and I'll, I'll put a link uh, for the listeners in the in the show notes. Um, but if I forget, guys, just um, just search um, Jared Clifford at uh, Dubai 1500, and it'll come up. But um, mate, it, it's I had to watch it again because it's such a great race to watch. Um, the big Russian, he went out, uh, looked twice the size of you, mate. Looked like a front front yeah. row forward, mate. And um, he took off, and you sort of sat behind him in second place. You sort of put a little bit of a gap in the first couple of laps and they brought you in but then then the bell rang mate and you just went for it mate which uh pretty courageous <laughs> and gutsy effort mate and um just watching again i was just you know i knew the outcome but i still got all nervous because he looked <laughs> like he was coming and he was um just yeah. tell us about that race mate and um, did you sort of have any have any tactics were you going to go with 400 to go or yeah just tell us how that sort of played out the plan was from philo was just to go for the finish line when you know that you can make it to the finish line without fading. Um, and I instinctually made the decision at 400 because I heard the, the chase pack closing in by a couple of metres and I thought I thought maybe it would be good to get a jump on them, not knowing that the rush in front of me would actually end up being my main rival in the last 100 metres. Yeah. Um, if I hadn't known that, maybe... I would have sat behind him longer and maybe that would have been the wrong decision. So um, it was good that I went with 400 to go, although as soon as I hit the front, I started worrying whether I would be able to get to the finish line without fading. And uh, yeah. I think I might have faded in the last 20, but managed to hold on by 0.1 of a second. But that last lap, it just took so... It felt like it took ages. It didn't. It was one of my quickest last laps, but yeah. time just stands still in that kind of, yeah, in that yeah. kind of environment. Did you just get the big hit of lactic with, when you went with that bell? <laughs> and you thought, oh, no, have I gone too early? Or It's weird. Like, in a in a domestic Victorian race, 100%, that's how I would have been feeling. But adrenaline in those races, the big ones, mm. it actually does make it feel different. And mm. that's why that's why I see this is what I do. You know, I, I finish a race, and I'm pumped, and I'm excited, and I can jump around. And it's like, usually I can't do that. And then once the adrenaline kind of goes away and the media, you know, you've gone through the media and it's just you and your family and your teammates and it's, it's, it just suddenly hits you. And I, I threw up for 10 minutes after the race into a, a cardboard box, I think it was. So um, I was definitely lactic, although I just couldn't feel it. Oh, yeah. You know, it was restricting me like how it usually does, but yeah. you just can't feel it the same way. Yeah. No, it's it's awesome. I'll I'll watch it many times again. It's awesome. Um, have yeah. you raced most of those guys before? And are you sort of familiar with with what their strengths and weaknesses were? Or it was the first time in my career that Russia was allowed to compete. Mm. Uh, so the Russians was the first time I was competing against them. Uh, mm. And, and they I had all, one against they, they the were certainly Algerian. all up there, the Russians, weren't they? I mean, there was three of them behind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were strong. They yeah. were they were pretty strong. I think it was second fourth and fifth or something mm. like that so mm. uh but the thing with para is you know we don't have a diamond league australia's a long way away from africa where some of those guys race each other so uh, i hadn't actually raced anyone in my category really um since 
2017, so just over two years. I had no idea what their tactics would be. Okay. Just kind of have to, uh, pardon the pun, you, you are going in blind tactically as mm. well. Mm. Mm. And the, the 5,000, you picked up the gold, 14, 40, 40. Um, what was it? Was that two days later or was it a day later? And um, were you confident that you could take that race out? Or yeah, tell us about that one. I had a week and I knew I was super fit. I knew okay. if they had a run, um, they had a run a week, uh, sorry, if they had a run a minute quicker, mm. uh, at least in the early stages, I could have gone with it. I was pretty confident in my fitness at that at that stage. So, but, and you know, I don't know why, because um, a lot of the guys in the 5K are marathon guys and they'd see me kick down in the 1500, but for some reason they didn't take the pace out very hard. And we went through 3K in nine minutes something, which is pretty slow um for for us and the fourth k didn't really get any quicker either so pretty much sat back until the, a lap to go and i think the last lap was 57 seconds and the last k it was 240 but i didn't even have to um you know really go out of my comfort zone until 400 300 to go so that race was a little bit less stressful than 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 the 1500 meters mm. yeah for sure i haven't been able to find a find that on youtube I, I don't know if you found yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you a link. I okay. think I, I've got it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, Dion Kenzie, he um, picked up the bronze there. He he was a running world champion there in the in the T thirty eight category of the fifteen hundred, but uh, he picked up the bronze there. So that's um, I see three podiums and three consecutive world champs. So he did well. And yeah. Your good mate uh, Rogues there, Michael Michael Roger. He picked up the silver there. Um, lost it. Yeah. <laughs> and then got it back again. Yeah. So. That must have been yeah. some stressful hours for you guys. Oh, it was pretty funny because his race was right after mine, and I remember he, uh, you know, risked missing the cooldown just so he could watch my fifteen hundred. Uh, sorry, the quorum, just so he could watch my fifteen hundred. And then, uh, you know, we celebrated his silver because obviously, he's, you know, his intentions are with the marathon now. But yep. um, so silver was still a big success for him. And then we would cool him down. We found out that he'd been, you know, quite ridiculously disqualified for some reason, which ended up being overturned but mm. it did uh dampen the mood for an hour or two um a little bit but you know as i said you know we're a team so we ride the highs and lows together um and, and highs and lows happen it went high and then a low and then a high in the same night but yeah. it was pretty good fun yeah yeah no for sure um you guys finished seventh overall with eight gold six silver and nine bronze so not, not too bad there yeah it was uh, a pretty cool um you know, opportunity for me as well. Mm. Obviously, my bronze in London added to the medal tally, but mm. this was the first time I'd really significantly um, helped the Australian medal result, which which was pretty special. Mm. Mm. Right, yeah. So going into Tokyo now, um, world champion, mate. So uh, I assume there's a, there's a bit of pressure there. Um, what, what's the plan going forward from here? Um, will you head over to Flagstaff again with with Philo's group um, beforehand? Yeah, so we're just going to try and keep everything as as, um, as routine as normal. So most years we do go to Flagstaff for a month mm. before our major kind of uh, winter, Australian winter peak, which, you know, northern summer. So, mm. um, yeah, we'll go to Flagstaff in July, come back to Cairns for one week and then head over to Tokyo a couple of days before the race. And then it's go time. Pretty much the thing that I've been thinking about every single run for as soon as the Rio games are over. So, yep. um, yeah, all the pressure, though, is 
I actually perform better under pressure. That's what I found. So, yep. um, and also I think uh, that whole thought process around thinking that you perform under pressure also helps. So um, I actually am really looking forward to it and I'm not, um, I'm not scared of, of uh, voicing my goals, which, sure. which are to um, try and win two gold medals. Uh, obviously one I'll be stoked with, so. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, the dream is to, to to win two again. Yeah, and, and what's the what's the uh, the time difference between the the two events? You said it was a week. The other time is it is it that long for this for this mate? Yeah, it's not as friendly as Dubai. There's mm. the five k's first in Tokyo, mm. and then there will be one day off, and then the heats of the fifteen hundred, and then the fifteen hundred final. So three races, four days, okay. and they're all in the middle of the day, which in Tokyo is hot. Okay. So, um, yeah. which will then obviously mean that recovery is going to be a little bit harder than if it was at night, mm. um, especially after a 5K. Mm. Uh, but the good thing is the 5K is probably looking as if it will be my main event in Tokyo, just off my Dubai results. So, um, I think if I can win the gold medal in the 5K, I found it in Dubai after the first gold medal, the pressure lifted. And um, when pressure lifts, it is actually a lot easier for your body to recover. So hopefully I can emulate that kind of feeling again. Sure. And would you use Tim and Philo again as guides in the 5,000? Yeah. Yeah. So they're penciled in as the two guides. Same setup as Dubai. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, flag stuff. Tell me more about that. Um, obviously the altitude's good, but uh, what else makes it so great? Um. Yeah, so Flagstaff is, uh, yeah, actually, well, in terms of altitude locations, I'd say it's one of the most, uh, you know, balanced places to go because there is so much to do. It's a little it's a little city, really, um, and you hardly even know you're on a mountain except when you go for a run um, just because the air is, it's, you know, obviously quite hard to run. But there's, like, the college, there's heaps of cafes, heaps of places to eat out, um, there's a lot of places to do, you know, when we're not that far from the Grand Canyon as well. Um, a lot of different canyons. Um, okay. So there's heaps to do, and you know you can go all the way up to nearly 3,000 meters, um, and then you can go down to 1,000 meters. There's flat to run on at 2,000. There's hills. There's uh, three or four tracks in the in the town as well. So it's one of the better places that i've been to train um yeah. so after tokyo um you'll still only be 21 um with so much running ahead will you sort of look to extend the distance um that you sort of race and maybe consider the prospect of running the marathon in say paris 2024 or maybe even later la in 2028 yeah it's uh i love the marathon i love the whole idea around it and um i definitely want to run them 2028, I, I reckon that's a, a lock-in. But 2024 is still something that I haven't ruled out. And I think we'll just have to see how I perform on the track in Tokyo. Yeah. Um, and there is also the option to focus on the track for 2024, but also um, have a marathon because obviously it's at the end of the, the game. So it won't hurt my track chances to, to just have a dip and see how it goes. Yeah. Is um, there a 10,000 10, event for your, for your category? or? Nah, so just the 15 and the 5 for me, and oh, then okay. straight up to the marathon. Oh, gotcha, um, right, yeah. 
yeah. But, yeah, I wouldn't rule out trying to um, do the track races and the marathon in 2024 um, and see how that goes. But yeah. uh, the main focus for a marathon in terms of, yeah, the marathon being the priority is probably 2028. Yeah, yeah. I have heard um, that there's going to be some of the majors are going to be doing marathons uh, for for Paralympics. Is that is that true? Para athletes, I should say. Yeah, yeah. London's been doing it for years, and okay. and uh, Boston is doing it. I think potentially my training partner Michael Roger. Not sure if he's doing it, but I know he's been invited. Um, so yeah, it's it's awesome where it's going, and, and hopefully by the time I'm running them, you know, year in year out. Uh, yeah, there's a para-athletics scene established, which is, which will be awesome. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, look, you're, you're a very talented and avid rider, mate. Um, where did that sort of interest um, come from? And are you sort of still involved in writing articles and blogging? Uh, yeah, so I, I write for um, Runner's Tribe occasionally, and obviously with 2020, there's a lot that's going on, and um, it's hard to... You know, it's hard to write uh, all the time. And obviously, when I write, I get quite invested in in the people that I'm writing about and their stories. So sometimes that can be draining. Um, but I'd love to get back into it a lot more. And I think mm. it's something that I'm pretty passionate about and something, you know, I just like telling people stories. And, um, yeah, it's something. It's a place where I'm definitely headed down. So yeah. we'll have to see after Tokyo. But it's so hard to think past past august at the moment yeah no nah, for sure mate keep your focus there do you mind if i read read an article that you wrote for runners tribe back in may 2018 and um that was about josh harris um who was a former guest on the show relating to uh, his 2017 world marathon champs mate I, yeah uh, yeah um it just sounds great uh, hopefully mate i don't make a meal of it no nah, that's okay all right yeah here we go dreams and nightmares are conflicting phenomena one is what we endeavour for, the reason for the toil. The other is simply what we hope never takes place, the dreaded disaster. In running, they are untamed beasts, bestowed with unbridled power, willfully determining the fates of those brave enough to throw their hat in the ring. It is the nightmares which become the creators of fear, of the moments cast in the shadow of bleak and brutal despair. It is truth and possibility embedded in nightmares that renders running such a precarious pursuit. It is true that running can be cruel. Standing atop London's iconic Tower Bridge, Josh Harris understood the candor of this statement. Emblazoned on a ceiling of unabated blue, the sun beamed down expectantly on the mighty River Thames. The noise from the crowd lining the city's ancient street rose and fell with zealous gusto. The 2017 World Championship Marathon was preparing to embark on a meandering journey. For many, the day would witness their success their reward at the end of a long road of sacrifice. However, for one runner, things would be different. On that day, Josh Harris would simultaneously live both his dream and nightmare. Mate, it's a great read and you're extremely talented with, with putting words together. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you, yeah. Really and Josh's story was just one that, yeah, as I said, I, I'm invested in the stories I tell and yeah. his was just one that was just so incredible and, um, yeah, that whole thing about you know your dream and nightmare, and mm. for him that was that was true. So uh, yeah, it's, and I love telling people stories, so uh, it's definitely something that I want to do in the future. No, you should, mate. You're a talented man. 
Um, look, para-athletes like uh, Dylan Orcott and uh, Kurt Fernley have sort of done an incredible job at uh, raising the awareness, I guess, and creating conversation around chasing your dreams and having belief in, in, your, in yourself regardless of what um, physical limitations um, you sort of dealt with. I can only imagine you sort of use those guys as a, as a huge role model in your journey for motivation. Would, would that be right? Yeah, Kurt and, and Dylan are doing incredible things and Matty De Rosario as well now and, uh, you know, fellow vision-impaired athletes like Russell Short, who's a shot putter, and, and um, Chad Paris, who's a 100-metre runner. So they're all people that I've looked up to and, and how hard they work and, and how they're, you know, not just incredible athletes, but they're changing the way people perceive disability. Uh, yeah, it's, it's something that I want to get into for sure. And, yeah. um, you know, once I hopefully you know, do well in Tokyo and potentially that platform, Will will become even better for me to be able to, uh, you know, impact others and and help others. Yeah, I mean, I guess looking from 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 that side is that obviously you're you're out there for your personal goals and winning world championships and uh, you know Paralympic medals and that. But understanding that also brings awareness to it, doesn't it? So I guess and, and you can you can take that on board and and I know you, I think you do a bit of um not public speaking or seminars, do you or yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I've been doing a few. Uh, my one of my most recent ones was at Toyota too. So I'm starting to get into that area, which is mm. pretty cool and pretty exciting, yeah. and I'm really enjoying it. So um, yeah, if, if anyone listening is interested, um, yeah, let me know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for sure. I'll, I'll work some. I'll, I'll chat to you later, but I'll work some. Work some links down below in the show details. Um, yeah, mate. Perfect. Were you down at Lakeside on Thursday night watching uh watching yeah. the boys and girls get around? Yep. Yeah, I was. That was some pretty pretty good racing. I I, mm. I, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah, no. It's... Um, uh, Stewie and Jess are just incredible, aren't they? They're yes, just, they are. Um, they're just both dominant, and I thought um, Sam McEntee's performance um, was pretty gutsy as well. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. For sure, mate. I know things are looking really good. All right, mate. Before we finish up, is there anything uh, else that you'd like to sort of add to the conversation that I haven't covered? Yeah, I mean, you know, it goes without saying, but obviously as a Paralympian, um, you know, and the Paralympic Games being this year, just anyone listening, if if you haven't already, get to know um, our Paralympic athletes, you know, especially our distance runners. Paralympic distance running is going through a golden era at the moment. You know, Michael Roger is the marathon world champion and he's, you know, holds the world records from the 1500 up to the marathon. So he's doing incredible. And then there's Dion Kenzie. Uh, who's you know been a world champion in the past in the cerebral palsy 1500 meters, and then um, Sam Harding and myself, you know, we could be two, we could have two blinkies or vision impaired athletes on the start line in the 1500 meters. So it's pretty exciting, and there's heaps of great stories out there. So um, you know, every, a lot of us are on Instagram or Twitter, so follow us and and um, for, you know, get to know our our stories and follow our journey onto Tokyo because I'm sure when you're sitting in in front of the telly watching um yeah seeing what we're doing now will will make that all the more meaningful so um and yeah the Paralympic games in tokyo are just going to be absolutely incredible mm, no fantastic no well said mate no we're all looking forward to it we love we love olympic year definitely um yeah mate, it's look, one, of the, one of the better years it is it is and you know all, all the stories and all the journeys and all the pathways people are on to get there and um yeah we, we need to hear more of those stories um in able-bodied and and, and the para para-athletes yeah mate um yeah. 
thanks so much for being a guest on the Running God podcast. Um, and uh, sort of no worries, yeah. sharing your inspiring story thus far with, um, I guess, many more incredible chapters to come, mate. So, um, look, all the best in your prep for Tokyo. Um, I'm sure you're going to smash it, but um, we'll be extremely proud, whatever the result is, uh, for yourself and, and the rest of the Aussie team, mate. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. No, thank you very much, Jared. All the best, mate. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Okay, guys, thanks again for listening to the Running Guy podcast. Follow along if you haven't already. Check out the links in the show notes below. Over to some of Jared's uh, socials there. Follow him along on the rest of his journey. Um, give it a thumbs up if you're enjoying what I'm providing and uh, leave some ratings over there at iTunes Apple Podcast. Thanks, guys. Stay safe. Thank mm-hmm. you.